This Student Ministry 127 podcast is a sermon preached at the 2012 West Coast Baptist Youth Conference by Brother Brian Sams. Brian Sams serves on the faculty of West Coast Baptist College teaching classes in counseling and evangelism. For more sermon resources, please visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. He was called the fastest man in Scotland. As he graduated from high school and into college in the early 1920s, Eric Little became known as an excellent athlete. In fact, he was so fast that he was chosen by his country, Scotland, to represent his country in the 1924 Olympic Games in Paris, France. This man uh, signed up for the 100 meters. He was a favorite to win, in fact. Uh, he and another man from Great Britain uh, uh, were, were, were men that had raced one another, and so it was going to be close, but these two men were certainly uh, in the favorites for the gold or the silver. Although Eric Little was a tremendous Olympic athlete, he had something else that was far more important to him than a gold medal, and that was his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Eric Little, as he uh, came and entered and registered for the Olympic Games, being sent by his country, arrived in Paris on that summer of 1924, only to find that the time trials or the heats that were being run for the 100 meter were going to take place on Sunday. And as they were going to take place on Sunday, Eric Little had a conviction that far too Christians have today. A conviction that nothing takes the place of church on Sunday. Eric Little, under the face of extraordinary pressure, with his coach and his country breathing down his neck, decided to drop out of the 100-meter dash that day in favor of attending the Lord's house on Sunday and the middle of the Olympics. And while Eric Little was forced out of the 100-meter dash because of his faith, his coach encouraged him to enter the 400-meter dash for which he had not trained. Now, 100 meters to 400 meters is literally four times the amount of the other race. While you may finish the 100-meter dash in nearly uh, 10 or 11 seconds, it'll take you over 40 seconds, uh, if you're an Olympic racer, that is, <laughs> uh, to finish the 400 meters. And so Eric Little was little, literally doing something that he was not qualified or trained to do. Everybody in the world knew what Eric Little had chosen to do. The newspaper articles abounded. History has been replete with many, many, many writings and, and, and biographies about this man. There was no surprise about what he did. It was written everywhere. Everybody in Scotland, everybody in the world knew that this man of faith had decided not to run the 100 meters. So when Eric Little stood up on that following week and he stepped in the starting blocks for the 400 meter dash, everybody in the world watched with anticipation to see what the outcome would be. As Eric Little was warming up and getting ready to put his feet down in those, stop, in those blocks, a man, an unknown man, walked up to him and slipped him a piece of paper and walked off without saying a word. Before Eric Little took off in that race, he opened it up, and in that piece of paper was a Bible verse quoted from 1 Samuel chapter, 20, or chapter 2 and verse number 30, where it says, Them that honor me will I honor. And 47 seconds later, that prophecy was fulfilled as Eric Little crossed the tape first and took the gold medal in the 1924 Olympic Games in Paris, France in the 400-meter dash. My friend, you may wonder and ask the question, isn't that a little bit extreme? I mean, wasn't that hard? 
Wasn't that difficult? I mean, come on, man. I mean, it was one Sunday out of the year. And aren't there exceptions for things like this? I mean, come on. I'm sure God would have understood that you were in the Olympic Games. I mean, what would have been the big deal about you going and and just one time missing one Sunday morning service? And you may say to yourself, hey, that must have been extremely hard for Eric Little to say no to the Olympic Games. May I suggest this to you this morning? It is easy to say no when you have a greater yes burning inside of you. And this man of God, Eric Little, later on went on for over 18 years to be a missionary in China before he died at age 43 of a brain tumor in that country. And I've got news for you this morning. If you were to set Eric Little up today, some 70 years after the fact, after his death, and you were to set him up on this stage and ask him, Eric, was it hard for you to make that decision? I am quite certain that he may something, say something like this. It's a whole lot easier to say no to the wrong influences when you have already said yes to God. And I want to challenge you guys about that this morning. We're going to learn from an Old Testament prophet by the name of Amos how it is that we can stand and make the choices that are right in our lives today, although they are difficult. And the answer of how we can or why we would or why we should It's because when in your heart you have a great yes burning for God, you are saying yes to Him, yes to His word, yes to His plan, yes to His desire, it'll be a lot easier for you to say no to something far less significant and compelling whatever the world would try to have you to do. I want to take a look at this man, Amos, this morning, and I want to look at three evidences in his life that prove that he was taken by God. And this conversation between him and Amaziah is quite a revealing conversation. After all, Amos was a prophet. Most of the Old Testament prophets, all that is really recorded in those stories is the messages that they preached. For instance, Jeremiah had a secretary named Baruch and and the vast majority of his book is just one sermon after another sermon that had obviously been copied and transposed and preserved for us down through history. But as Amos is standing up in Israel and he is preaching the word of God, We have in chapter 7 a little narrative that is inserted to us. A little narrative that shows us that although he was preaching a message from God, not everybody around him liked it. And when he preached this message, one of the religious elite named Amaziah tries to get Amos to stop preaching. And we look at his response to Amaziah and we quickly learn that it was easy for him to say no to Amaziah because he had already said yes to God. I want you to notice here in our text an evidence, first of all, that you are taken by God, that you have said yes to God, is that you are unquestioned in your call. You are unquestioned in your call. Notice verse 14. Then answered Amos and said unto Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was an herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. When Amaziah tells Amos to leave town, he stops and he shares with him a little bit about the background that he had participated in prior to his call to preach. And as we look at this particular story, what I want to point out to you about this is that Amos would have had every excuse in the book as to why he should not preach the word of God. I mean, when you stop to think about it and you look at his history for just a moment, he had excuses, friend. There would have been reasons why he could have lifted his hand up and said, God, you know what? You've got the wrong person. Really, I'm probably not the guy that should be preaching here. I mean, after all, look at the hometown I'm from. The Bible says that he was from Tekoa. Tekoa was located 10 miles outside of the city of Jerusalem. It was a place of agriculture. Uh, Essentially, it was a rural town. 
Now, I'm not by any means saying that Amos was a redneck, but he sure was probably close. The fact of the matter is, Amos was a country boy. And I don't believe that Amos was poor. We'll learn that later. But I do believe this, that Amos was a man who was a country man. He was a rural man. The Bible tells us that he had a, a, an ordinary job. He was a herdman. Uh, many Bible scholars believe that he oversaw cattle. He oversaw a large flock of sheep. Uh, the Bible tells us he was a gatherer of sycamore fruit. Uh, that is that he, uh, he raised crops. Now whether that means that he was a common man or a man that oversaw that, the point is insignificant. Here is what the Bible is saying about Amos. Amos was a regular guy. He was a normal man. He was a field worker. He was a manager, perhaps, of crops. He was a guy that had gathered sheep together. He was a man that was just out in the country field somewhere doing his normal business. And the Bible said that God came to him when he was doing his normal thing and called him to preach. Notice this also. He had no formal training and he had no formal background that would call him to preach. Look at the text again, verse 14. He says, I was no prophet... Neither was I a prophet's son. Now in the Bible, the prophet office was a very specific office. A man would be called to be a prophet. He would be ordained or, or recognized as a prophet. He would be officially uh, 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 put out by God to preach the word. And this is what Amos is saying. Hey, listen, I didn't go to preacher school. I didn't go to the school of prophets that, uh, that Elijah had set up. Hey, listen, I, I'm not a guy uh, that, that had a lot of training. I didn't go to Bible college. And furthermore, he said this. My daddy's not a preacher either. Look, I'm just a regular guy. I'm from a small town. I'm just a country kid. I grew up on a farm. My dad's not in the ministry. I didn't go to Bible college, but God took me. So when he looked at Amaziah and said, listen, I am already the Lord's. I have already said yes to him. I'm not going to listen to what you're telling me to do because I was a nobody and God made me a preacher and he followed that call. Can I say this to you today? In the Bible and throughout history, men have always had opportunities to make excuses as to why they should not follow and serve God. Joseph could have made the excuse that his family was messed up and boy was his family messed up. Moses could have used the excuse, and he even tried to, that he was not articulate and he could not speak well. John the Baptist could have used the excuse that he did not have designer clothes and did not have a lot of nice food to eat. I'm sure Rahab could have used the excuse that, good night, I was a prostitute. I was a harlot. My background is soiled. I have a dirty past. I mean, how in the world would God ever use somebody like me? I think of men in the Bible like Timothy who could have used the excuse that he was scared and he was timid and he did not have an overt personality and he even had physical problems according to 1 Timothy chapter 5. I think of Don Sisk, a modern day hero of ours around here and uh, one of God's choicest servants and a man that back when it was not easy to be a missionary did not make the excuse that I do not even have deputation support raised to go to Japan in the 1950s or 60s and still went and did what God called him to do. I think of Pastor Chapel when he came here some 26 years ago in a hot summer month of July. And when he came and preached at this church that used to be downtown about four miles from here and, and came here that day and preached to 12 people that called him to be their pastor and they could not pay him to move here and they could not pay him to have a salary for 18 months. Can't you just feel the excuses that could have been made as to why I shouldn't do that and why I shouldn't go there and why I can't do that? I'm just saying to you today, friend, there is never 
never an excuse greater in your mind to stop you from what God has called you to do if you believe that God has called you to do it. So by saying yes to your call, you are saying no to your excuses. Boy, I'm looking at a variety pack here in the room. Look at us. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand, but I mean, how many of you don't even have a dad that lives at home with you? I mean, how, how many of you in this room, just think, you don't have to answer, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you in this room, you haven't even been saved longer than a year? There's some people in this room, you've got some real academic and educational challenges. You don't do well in school. You can't spell very well. You don't understand English. You don't get math. By the way, join the rest of the world. We don't get math, right? Amen? I mean, come on. Uh, 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 we, we, look, I, I'm, not, I'm not bright. Some of you would look in the mirror and say, man, I've got some flaws. I don't, I don't really feel like I look that good. I, man, I, I would be so scared half to death to get up there and do what you're doing today, Brother Sam's. I mean, I don't know if I could ever preach. I don't know if I ever could ever serve God. I don't know how to cook. I don't know how to tell jokes. Good night. I don't even get jokes. And I want to say to you this morning, you can sit around the rest of your life and use excuses as to why you cannot serve God. Or you can be seized by God, taken by God, called by God, and let your call be a greater yes than your excuses. Jeremiah said, I will not make mention of him or speak anymore in his name. Then there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of forbearing. I cannot contain, Paul said, for I am preached the gospel. I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me, for woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. And I would say to you that any man that has ever done anything successful for God, any young lady that has ever uh, left high school and did something great for the Lord Jesus Christ is a person who laid their excuses down at an altar and took up their cross and followed Christ. Why? Because they knew God had something great for their lives. He was unquestioned in his call. Number two, he was unmoved by the pressure. He was unmoved by the pressure. The pressure came from a corrupted and a comfortable society. If you study carefully 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 25 through 28, the Bible tells us that although uh, uh, the king, uh, Jeroboam, that he served under in Israel had brought great prosperity to the land. He had recovered many of the properties that Israel had lost because of their sin over the years. And yet the Bible says he brought back tremendous prosperity and tremendous affluency back into the culture. And this culture that uh, Amos was called to preach in was a culture of affluence. It was a culture of prosperity. But in their physical prosperity, they had become apathetic in their spiritual lives. And Amos is called into that culture, into that climate, to preach strong messages. In fact, you don't think his messages were strong? Go back to chapter 4 and verse 1 and look what he says here. In chapter 4, verse 1, folks, listen now. You talk about preaching. Look at what the Bible says here. Hear this word, ye kind of Bashan. woo You say, what is he talking about there? Well, another word for kind would be cows. He looks at his audience and says, you bunch, literally, you bunch of fat cows. Seriously. You look it up, it's what he's saying. He's saying you're set down in your nice houses with your nice stuff and you are spiritually flabby. And he preached that message to them. Look at chapter 6 and verse 1. Look what he says here. How's this for a sermon introduction? 
Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. My friend, what I am suggesting to you today is that the pressure for Amos to stop preaching and the pressure for Amos to do something different with his life was very, very intense. And not only was there pressure from a corrupted and a comfortable society, there was also pressure from a compromised preacher. Notice, if you will, back in our text, verse number, uh, verse number 10, then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, Now, you'll have to go back to 1 Kings chapter 12 to understand the significance of what is being said here. But Bethel was a location in Israel that this king, Jeroboam, had established as a place of worship that held back the children of Israel from going to Jerusalem where they were supposed to worship and doing what God had called them to do. So get the picture. Jeroboam says, look, we're not going to do things the way God wants us to do them. We're going to do what I want to do, uh, what I want to do in the kingdom. And guess what? The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 12, he hires a bunch of phony priests that were not even of the tribe of Levi. You say, what does that mean? They had no business being priests. They were not ordained by God to be preachers. These were fake preachers. These were phony preachers that were doing what they did for money. They were doing what they did because of the pressure of the king. And this fake, phony preacher that did not have a backbone, that was a yellow belly coward, that was a turncoat on Jesus, that was a traitor to all things of God, looked at this preacher, Amos, and said, you can't preach like that anymore. Think of the pressure, friend. Think of the intense pressure that was being placed on this man of God to stop doing what he was supposed supposed to do and he looks at him and says I'm sorry I'm already taken God called me God took me God has equipped me he gave me a message to preach and I'm not quitting for you and I'm not quitting for the kingdom and you can cast me out you can throw me down you can kick me out of this place but I'm going to do what God called me to do can I say this today I want to say this to you friend I believe that the word that will make or break this generation I am preaching to is the word pressure I appreciate the message last night. I appreciate the fact that around here, we're not trying to have a yahoo party to whip everybody up and let's have group hugs around around testimony time. Was youth conference awesome? Yes! (laughs) Pass the Kleenexes! What what did youth conference mean to you? (laughs) (laughs) I just loved youth conference here's why because man when we rode the bus and we like went to those services man like man like man it was kind of like I don't know if you know what I'm like talking about like but Our youth group is so close now. Who cares? Wow. Your youth group is close. You cried together. You hugged. I love it when the guys and girls take little liberties to hug during those moments. That's my favorite part. Oh, I love God too. Yeah. If you think we're here to whip you up into a frenzy, to send you back like a cream puff or a Twinkie, to get smashed, 
by the world around you, you have lost your mind today. This is not about, oh, let's get excited for Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Let's cry. Let's hug. Let's talk about how wonderful it is. Let's talk about how I learned how to trust God at the youth conference. No, 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 Fred. Here's the bottom line. You are in a pressure cooker society. Nobody loves Jesus. Everybody wants him out of here. And if you think that you're going to serve God, I am telling you, you're going to have to withstand some pressure in your life. You don't think Paul had pressure in my soul? The minute he said he was going to preach, they tried to kill him. They lowered him out of basket. They had to send him out of town. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned for Jesus Christ. You say, what in the world, man? Why would Paul do that? I'll tell you why. Because he was already taken, that's why. He said it in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. And he gives the answer right here. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Listen now. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. You say, what is he talking about? Preacher, say this. I don't care what you do and I'm not asking you your opinion and I'm not trying to figure out what everybody else is doing. I'm not taking a popularity poll. I'm not running for political office. I'm not trying to win an election this morning. The election for my heart is settled. I have cast my vote for Jesus Christ and I don't really care what anybody else thinks about it. This is an election year. November, we're going to vote. Yes for one presidential candidate or yes for another. But may I suggest something to you this morning? There ought not to ever be an election in your heart for who's in charge of you. It ought to be yes God, can I just say this this morning? You're looking at me like, man, this is crazy. You're another one of those psycho preachers. Well, I'm just telling you this morning that when you have already said yes to God, it is a lot easier to say no. I'm suggesting to you today that if you get that issue settled in your heart, that no matter what pressure is coming upon me, I've already said yes to God, it's going to be easier to say no. But if you're always looking at the crowd and you're always looking at the circumstances, trying to figure out whose loyalties you have and who has your heart, then I'm telling you it's going to be a a whole lot harder to live for the Lord Jesus Christ in this day. You know, it's easier to say no to a secular college when you've already said God to God yes. It's easy to say no to my career in medicine, my career as a a lawyer, and when I've already said yes to the will of God in my life. By the way, it's easier to say no to ball practice on Sunday when I've already said yes to Hebrews 10.25. It's easier to say no to dress that tries to get God's attention when I've already said yes to modesty. It's easy to say no to rock music when you've already said yes to psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Hey, listen, it's easier, Fred, to say no to a bunch of bad friends that don't love God, that have no interest in God, who do not encourage you in the Lord when you've already said yes to a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I'm asking you, friend, today, that when the pressure's on and the hoopla's over and not everybody's cheering you on and not everybody's saying, wow, that's great, let's sign cards and let's do this. Hey, listen, the men who moved the world have been men whom the world could not move. Unmoved by pressure. Unmoved by pressure. And finally, he was unattached to the temporal. He was unattached to the temporal. Now listen to what is said here. Listen very carefully and I'm almost done. Verse number 14 and 15. No, sorry, back up to verse uh, 12 if you will. 
Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go flee away into the land of Judah. And there eat bread and prophesy there. You see, you got to understand that when Amaziah said this to Amos, this is what he said. He said, listen preacher, you're not preaching messages like that here. You just need to go on back to Judah and do it there. And here's why. you got to understand where Amos was coming from. Amos was ministering during Uzziah the king in Judah. Now, if you know anything about Israel history, you know that in Israel, the divided kingdom, you saw a slide about it up here on the screen when Brother Chapel preached. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. The northern kingdom of all their kings had no one that loved God. Not one. Never was there a good king that reigned in Israel. Not one time. In southern Judah, there were pockets of revival. You heard about one of them in the last session under Hezekiah. But did you realize that when when Amos was called to preach, he was called from Judah during the reign of Uzziah. And if you were to go get a a chart of, of kings of Judah, you would find this. That it was right in the center of a pocket of revival when there were about four good kings in a row. Now listen very carefully. Amos was from Judah. God called him out of a revival to go preach in the most wicked society known to man at that time. And when Amaziah looks at him and says, listen, preacher, why don't you just go back to Judah? And then he says this, there eat bread. You know what he was saying? We're not going to take care of you here. We're not going to feed you here. If you think we're going to give you a love offering and put you up in the Hilton and drive you around in a nice rental car, and my friend, if you think for some reason that we're going to give you a fruit basket in your hotel room and try to take care of you here, and you think that we're going to buy a dress for your wife and new shoes for your feet, you have lost your mind. You want to be taken care of, Amos? Go back down to Judah. He was telling Amos... That you are preaching and doing something that is very uncomfortable here. You are going to minister in a place where you are not wanted. And by the way, listen to this. He was called to labor in a way that was unrewarded. I found found this out working with preacher boys over the years. You want to know what many of them like about ministry? What I'm doing right now. But do you realize in this week... I will have done this for about 35 minutes out of the whole week. And by the way, long before I ever got here preaching here, there was a whole lot of things going on in my life that took place long before this ever happened. I'm asking for, you're not going to make it in service for God if you are attached to the temporal. If you cannot stay away from New York and company. If you cannot stop running up credit card bills. If you cannot live without an iPhone. If you cannot live without a bunch of stuff, if you have to have this little allowance, you have to have everything perfect. I can't tell you how many parents I've met over the last years of traveling and trying to recruit kids to come to Bible college that will look at me and say, well, California is too far. And I have many times looked at them and said, well, what are you going to do if God calls your your child to the mission field? You say, you would say that to a parent? Of course. And I'd say it to you today if you thought that. My friend, if you have an attachment to this world, If you have an attachment to money and stuff and clothes and friends and Facebook and Twitter, whatever. And it's holding you down. You may not think it's holding you down. But the bottom line is this. If there is anything that would keep you from going anywhere in the world, listen very carefully. You're not qualified to serve God like Amos did. 
Look, I'm not going to say what I'm getting ready to say because I'm against missions because I'm not. And everybody will understand what I'm getting ready to say. But it's easier to be a missionary in 2012 than it was in the 1800s. You realize when somebody left on the mission field, they probably weren't coming back on furlough in four years. When Adoniram Judson, one of the first missionaries, left the United States of America, he was getting ready to ask his wife, soon-to-be Anne, for her hand in marriage. Before he did, he wrote her father this letter. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure for a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to dangers of the ocean, the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress and death and insult and persecution and even perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Savior from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair? My friend, did you hear what he just said? He didn't write a letter and say, I've got $10,000 in the bank and I've got a house built by the lake here in southern Los Angeles County. And wouldn't you just like your daughter to sign up for that? He said, I'm taking her to die. Folks, listen, I'm talking about 20-year-old people. I'm talking about people that are the age of many of you in this room. And that young man wrote a letter to her, her, her father and said, Will you let your daughter die? And guess what? He said yes. And he married her. She wrote a friend, Lydia Kimball, shortly after. I feel willing, she said, and expect, if nothing in providence prevents, to spend my day in this world in heathen lands. Yes, Lydia, I have about come to the determination to give up all my comforts and enjoyments here, sacrifice my affection to relatives and friends, and go where God and his providence sees fit to take me. They were married for a year and a half. On February 5th, 1812, they sailed to India. Twelve days later, the two, uh, with two other couples and two single men, divided in two boats in case one of them went down. They arrived in India on July, of July 13th of 1813. That's over a year of traveling on the sea. They began a lifelong battle in 108 degree weather with cholera, um, um, uh, malaria, dysentery, and unknown miseries uh, that would have taken two of Judson's wives, seven of his 13 children, and colleague after colleague after colleague to death. Their first child died on the boat ride to get to the mission field. Their second child died as an infant. His wife died six months after their third child died. Oh, you want to get up in the choir loft today? There's been a theme in this conference, friend. You don't think the preachers in this conference recognize something that's happening in our country today? You are probably not going to be clapped every time you stand up to preach. It's not real likely that your name is going to be in the front of USA Today unless you're being hung. And I'm just saying to you today, would you say yes to God 
A greater yes burning inside of you, believing that you would rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and thieves cannot break through and steal. Hey, listen, you are either spending your life here or you are sending your life ahead for eternity. That's what we're asking you to do at this conference. Sorry, I'm taken. I can't do what you're asking me to do. I can't go where you're asking me to go. I can't stop doing what God's called me to do because I'm already taken. Thank you for listening to this Student Ministry 127 podcast. For more sermon resources, visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. And for information about West Coast Baptist College, visit wcbc.edu.